Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. More. Jesus from beginning to end. We have been in a series now for the last couple of months uh, looking at the letter of 1 Thessalonians and seeing how God works through the gospel to bring more in your life. And we're, we're aiming to cultivate and to help you long for more Jesus throughout this series because to know God is to long for more Jesus. And as we come to chapter 5 today, we're looking towards the end of the book um, this week and one more week in the book and we will conclude the series. But let me read for us beginning in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter just to kind of set a context for the remaining verses that we'll cover. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good and to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. As Paul begins to conclude his letter, he offers some final words of instruction and exhortation, which is basically instruction with unction, you know, strong instruction and encouragement. These are not just hollow words of signing off until again we meet, but rather they're straightforward words of exhortation to pursue the more that God wants. And, and what Paul has said throughout this letter is, is commending to us to believe and to trust and to press in to know that God wants more for us. For that's the resounding prayer he prays at the end of this passage. And I want us to see in these last two sermons an idea that I want to press upon us, hopefully not to overuse that word today, but I want to use a concept from Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 3 of where he talks about how he pursues God's more in his own life to help us capture how we can finish the study of this book without stopping the pursuit of God's more 
in our life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, But one thing I do. When he talks about in just prior, the verses just prior, he talks about uh, uh, how it is that we can experience the resurrection power of God in our life and we can share in the fellowship of his suffering. So here is that relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ in one twin culminating idea of the power of God in his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings. Paul says this, I do not believe that I have already obtained this, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, today and next week, I want to encourage you to press on for the more that God has for you in your life. That God is leading you to full maturity in Jesus, as he says, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. Let no measure less than the full stature of Christ be what you would consider enough because God has more for you and that more is always in Christ Jesus. And the way onward in the Christian life is always inward. So what I want you to see today is this, that God gives more grace in the Christian's life when we press in to press on. God gives more grace in the Christian life when we press in to press on. There's one guarantee I can give you from the whole counsel of God's word. You will never find the bottom to the lake, yea, the sea of God's grace. It is bottomless. Its heights are measureless. Its widths and its breadths are without bounds. And so when God commends us to press on in his word, he's calling us to a greater understanding, a greater realization, a greater experience, a greater encounter, a greater growth, yea, even a greater maturity, full transformation into the person of Jesus Christ. And so I commend us today to press in with our lives in order to press on in four areas that Paul lays out for us in these verses. And today, we're only going to look at the first two of those areas. The first two of those areas. Let's move to the area number one. The first area for you to press in is this. Paul says to submit your life to spiritual leadership. We ask you, brothers, he says, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul exhorts us to respect those who are spiritual leaders over you and the work that they are charged by God to do in your life. Consider what he says for how it is that one presses in by submitting their life to spiritual leadership. He begins, we ask you to respect. That word 
respect simply means this, to make an acknowledgement about someone or something in accordance to what God has said about it. So when, when he says respect, he's not throwing around respect as we sometimes think about it today, but rather he's talking about an intentional, decisive act of the will to bestow upon something or someone something that God has said is. And for this, it means to acknowledge. And he acknowledges, or he identifies rather, what we are to acknowledge with respect with three phrases. The first phrase is this, that we are to acknowledge who God has ordained for spiritual leadership in your life. Look what he says. Respect those, first of all, who labor among you. You see, friends, God's design is this, to respect as spiritual authority in your life those who labor among you. Spiritual leadership is not an activity that can be accomplished isolated from relational proximity. What do I mean by that? There's got to be some sense of personal relationship. And not in the day of social media, friends, but rather true relationship between people. We're not talking about having to be best friends with your spiritual leaders or to know everything about them, to spend a lot of time. These are often ways that people wrongly assign the weight of responsibility upon spiritual leadership or even to always have immediate access to them. There is a way where codependency or an unhealthy relationship can be established here, but it does mean that there is a defining center to the relationship. In other words, there's something that brings the relationship together outside of the two individuals or the two parties that holds it together. And you see, if you look at the whole counsel of God's word in the local congregation, the congregation is originated to be centered on Jesus through a covenant that forms the commitment that people are supposed to make to one another. Now, this isn't new to us. This is originated in God's word. And God demonstrates what he originates by his own life. That he makes a covenant with us. And so this covenant establishes the relationship not only of individuals with God, but of Christ followers among each other to center everything on Jesus. Just because you talk a lot about Jesus doesn't mean that you are actually centering anything on him. We give lip service to stuff all the time that really has no bearing or meaning ultimately in our life. And we have to be careful about this in the church because it's easy to learn to speak Christianese without really being committed to the things of Christ. Those who labor among you means that spiritual leadership demands covenant relationship as a biblical essential for faithful pastoring and congregational engagement. Now, the second aspect of what Paul is asking us or describing for us or identifying to us, what we should acknowledge with respect is what it is that God has ordained for spiritual leadership. And so he says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
So second of all, he's asking us to acknowledge with that intentional decisive act of respect what it is that God has ordained for spiritual leadership, those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And the word he uses here holds the idea, literally the the application of, 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 of to be in charge of or to rule over. Now before you walk out on me, listen to what I'm saying, all right? I'm not about to elevate my job description or anyone else's. But I want you to hear because this is a massive upstream current against which we swim in the current culture of Christianity. Biblical leadership, according to the whole counsel of God's word, establishes spiritual authority with a bestowed authority, with a plural body, and a willing reception. Okay? That's that's the key here in the understanding what Paul is describing for us. Elders and pastors are under shepherds that lead, not lords that rule. We're not even the chief or great shepherd. Spiritual leadership flows through a relationship of common lordship, through a relationship of mutual love and and trust. And, And it's not always that these spiritual leaders have the right answer that fixes every problem or solves every crisis or answers every question or can remove every pain or even perform perfectly in every situation. And I assure you, the more you get to know us, who are your elders and pastors here, you'll be convinced that that is absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, that's little more than a fairy fairy tale dream of a genie in a bottle right there. We serve under God's call to lead. We are given authority to lead, not because it is inherent within us, but because it is bestowed by God on us, first of all, as we live, and then subsequently as we serve among the congregation. And that comes to us by God through you. Through you. Our work is to lead you to follow and wholly submit your life to the rule of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you don't respect, or or shall we say acknowledge, then you can't be led. You see what I'm saying? But when you fail to respect, you not only reject those that are your spiritual leaders, you reject the one who ordains us. And that's God himself. And so you can begin to see how this relationship breaks down without the acknowledgement that Paul is exhorting us in here. The leadership of elders and pastors is to equip by the word through regular teaching, so healthy diet of real food, right? Through prayer and spiritual ministry, through the council, and all of these things are really just different manifestations of the ministry of the word of God, okay? So teaching, prayer and counsel, that, that's not just oriented to you, it's oriented to the word for you, for us, 
Our ministry is to encourage you, to help you follow Jesus. You might say, in a nutshell, to lead you to be a real Christ follower in life together. That, that's the ministry that we have been given. You see, spiritual leadership includes both instruction, though, Paul says, and correction. And correction. Because he says this, he says, uh, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, that word for admonish just means to correct. So if you have to correct something, there is inherently an error or a wrong in some sense, manner, form, or expression that's included in that. And that admonishment almost always means that you get told what you don't want to hear. Sometimes, along with what you stop doing, what you are doing, or don't do what you are about to go do. Those are three principal expressions that this often takes. You see, admonishment holds the purpose of leading you to repentance. It's not a brick wall or an immovable object that we put in your way. Rather, it's an instruction that we bring about into your life because of the role God has given us to play. And it's intended to lead you to repentance, which, what is repentance? But repentance is the turning away from self and the turning away of sin in order to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to turn to us or to any individual, but to Jesus. You see, repentance is the essential practice for a Christian because it reflects that posture of humility before God. And so as we live humble before God, we become quick to confess our sins and even to confess those to one another. That doesn't mean just blatantly hanging our dirty laundry so the world can see it, but having others in our life, as we'll see in a moment, by which we can confess those sins too. For the practice of confession, just as a, a practice of life, ignites the activity of repentance to demonstrate the posture of humility and the preparedness to accept admonishment. I don't like it any more than you do, to be quite honest. And you know why we don't like it? Because it opposes the very nature that has separated us from God. That's why it's absolutely essential for our life. Respecting those who admonish you requires humility to trust the Lord and to live a life postured in repentance. That's the second descriptive. The third descriptive that Paul gives and how it is that we submit to spiritual leadership is, is to acknowledge how God has ordained spiritual leadership to be regarded in your life. And he culminates this by saying to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their own good nature? Because of their own inherent goodness? No. Why? Because of their work. You see, when you esteem, when you, when you respect or acknowledge your spiritual leadership in this way, what you're doing is you're not enthroning or elevating an individual. You are exalting Christ and his work through the people around you. And that's what's so important. Respect 
sets the relationship of love and trust with your elders and pastors as a high priority for your life. And the relationship you hold with spiritual leadership should be acknowledged in these ways because a covenant agreement under which everyone relates is what guides, what governs, if you will, what what establishes the way this relationship is held together and the good that comes from it. If, friends, if spiritual leaders that God has placed over you are not highly respected by you, they will never be able to serve you as God intended in your life. They may do a lot of things for you that are good. They may appease you. They may entertain you. They will even please you for a time. And I can tell you this, if they're being faithful, they will oppose you at times as well. Why? Because this is why God has given them to us. And you might say, well, if they, if they are highly respected by me and that's how they will be able to serve me well in my life, let me ask this question. What if spiritual leaders are wrong? What if spiritual leaders are wrong? Because at the end of the day, if you take Paul's words at heart and you regard, you respect or acknowledge spiritual leaders in your life in the way that that Paul is describing for us here, and in fact, they make the wrong call. They make the wrong call in the wrong way, or they make the right call but make it in the right way. Then what am I to do then? Has God just hung me out to dry by their incorrect leadership? In fact, no. When you acknowledge and respect spiritual leadership in your life as Paul is commending you to here, you don't commend your life to people. You commend your life to God. And and spiritual leadership comes under the discipline of God's hand. Because clearly the New Testament says that spiritual leaders will give an account to God for your soul, not to you. It's far worse than them have to any of us having to answer to any of you, which we do that, just not ultimately. See, that's what Paul is saying here is when we learn to relate correctly among the church, we're actually exalting Jesus and our trust in him and not just our trust in one another. And that's how it comes about. It's not about the individual. It's about the role that God has ordained them to serve in our lives. And when you respect and highly esteem, God uses them to serve his purposes in your life. And that's what he says when he follows up this phrase, be at peace among yourselves. You see, friends, faithful biblical leadership among the congregation brings peace to the congregation Christians know that peace is not about the absence of turmoil nor trouble, but peace is about the presence of Jesus being fully manifested in life. When we submit our lives to spiritual leadership and to the God-ordained role they have in our life, we increase the manifest presence of Jesus both within us and among us. We we immerse to consume our lives more fully with the the presence of Jesus, not just personally in us, but surrounding us in the whole congregation. You see, more Jesus resonates among the church with redeeming and with transforming power when leaders are rightly respected to lead 
within the congregation. And that's Paul's point here. That's what he is commending us to believe. You know, technology has provided many great opportunities for us, but it's also created some terrible divisions among us for both congregants or Christians at large and also for pastors. Because what we can do today is we can go out within moments, or maybe you do it actually during the service. That, you know, that's not beyond the scope. You may even use the church's internet access to do that. And we can find the best preachers there are. And we can say, this is who I give myself to. And you say, not only one, but I find at least the top five. And I listen to every sermon they preach. I listen to every song they record. And I give myself to them. No, you don't. With a little bit of sarcasm, meaning to be lighthearted in it, you don't even know who they are. See, what you do is you go find those that you best like and then you listen to them and who knows if you skip that sermon or that one because well it just didn't speak to you at the moment you see what you build is a me-centered Christianity a me-centered spiritual leadership and the problem is not that the elders or pastors among your local congregation aren't part of that the problem is Jesus isn't part of that and you hear a lot about him And there's even some good that comes from that. But at the end of the day, it's not a biblical design for what God intends for you. You will find many plethora numbers of better preachers. You will not find a better gospel. And the point that Paul is making, trust the gospel message, not the messengers, not the ministers. Trust that what the ministers are doing is God-ordained for your life. And when they fail, and they surely will, trust the God of those ministers and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what most churches don't realize is pastors are doing the same thing that church members are doing with the internet and social media. Congregants say, I like my church, but I don't like my leaders. So they go find some leaders they can listen to and worship along with. And they have this little thing on the side from the church they're in. Leaders are doing that all the time as well. They tolerate the church they're in and then they go build the church of their dreams with their social media platforms and their own likes on their own pages. We're both in sin when we do that, friends. It's not that the technology is bad. It's that the heart behind it uses it in that way surely it can be used for good as well friends what i want to say to you what paul is saying to us here is that your spiritual life goes awry when you get your spiritual leadership wrong it might be that god could do even greater works through less dynamic individuals to demonstrate his own power and his own glory but you're going to have to trust him to expect that that One of the most and first important ways that you submit your life to Christ, to follow him and to walk with him faithfully, is to submit your life to those whom he has placed over you. And this exhortation 
is simply to invest your life in the local congregation where the elders and the pastors shepherd you. Paul is urging all of us to recognize that people that God has placed in our life are given to us for spiritual leadership. And hear me, I want to be very clear about this. No individual is exempt from this exhortation. No individual at the elder table, at the staff table, at any other table in the church, let alone the whole congregational table, is exempt from obeying this exhortation. If you press in to press on to spiritual maturity, spiritual leadership that is among you will be a vital part of your life. So pressing on for God's more in your life begins by pressing in to submit to the spiritual leadership that God has ordained for you. Now, this flows immediately into the second area in which we should press in because the reason the local congregation is so important is not just because of the leaders, but hear me, because of the culture that is created, the fellowship of the body when people live together in covenant with one another. So area number two to press in is simply this, Paul says, to surround your life with spiritual community. Look at verse 14 with me. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Area number two to press in is to surround your life with spiritual community. And, and I would make the argument that if you'll understand the second area that Paul identifies for us, you'll have greater understanding of the first area. And you'll see that it doesn't sit in isolation, but it occurs within the congregation. Paul turns to all Christians in Thessalonia, but also here today. And he offers some of the most popular Christian exhortations ever. Some of the greatest Christian encouragement you can give comes from these verses at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, some of which we won't cover them all today. But he begins by telling us, practice the things that cultivate God's grace among you. As a congregation, when you come together, remember every word, every action, everything is cultivating the grace of God among you. And the only way to press on for more is to surround your life with the practices among God's people that form more Jesus in you. And here they are. Admonish the idol. Can we not just move along beyond this word? Why does admonishment continue to be so critical? Because it's essential for us, friends. And, and, and ultimately, long before a spiritual leader should sit down and admonish you in some form, manner, or way, that admonishment should already have been echoed and resonated from the congregation itself in an ongoing manner. You know, one of the reasons that we stumble so often in our Christian life, that we fail to, to sense the presence of God, I think, in the way that we really want to, is we give too little weight to the voices that are all around us. And we hinge everything too much on individual or single voices that are among us. 
That's what Paul is is appealing to us here. Admonishment is a practice for more than only leaders. It's a practice for the whole congregation. Why? Because first of all, laziness never leads to godliness, but idleness goes much further than only laziness. Idleness refers to a lack of discipline or a lack of submitting to that which is beneficial. Think about this. Think about the engine of a car and the transmission of a car. You need both of them to accomplish what you want to purchase when you get in your car. I mean, there are some who get in their car and turn the engine on and just love to listen to the engine. But that car doesn't accomplish its purpose until you've moved it from P, sometimes to R, through N, to D, and maybe 3, 2, or 1. Now, for those parents who have younger children, you better figure out what those mean because you're going to have kids wanting to know. And you want them to get the difference between R and D right every time. We're talking about a spiritual engine and transmission here, friends, and their unique nature in working together. Paul is not encouraging a better workout routine. He is championing a spiritual maturity by the way that we relate. And if we are going to recognize and and, and receive the benefit of this relationship, then we've got to be able to press in our lives to receive it. You see, lazy regarding spiritual growth and maturity should not be acceptable among the church. And not just laziness, but, but even broader than that, general idleness. To be okay with where you are with God in Jesus Christ is not acceptable for God's intentions and purposes for your life. There's not a moment, there's not a, a blinking of an eye which happens over 20,000 times a day I heard this weekend. I haven't yet to count them. My attention span's not long enough. That God says, that's enough. You just stay in that holding pattern until I come get you. No, God has more for you. And what Paul is admonishing or encouraging us in is to practice the admonishment among your congregation to not settle for less, to not find ourselves idle in a holding pattern where we're not engaging our lives for the growth and maturity that God wants for us. And the way in which we communicate in the congregation should encourage one another to grow and should encourage one another to grow up. I don't know about you, he's just hearing those two words put together is almost a what? But that's what Paul is, is have people close enough in your life that can look at you and go, you really need to grow in this area. And you really need to grow up in this area. And for you to go, yes, thank you, thank you. The way we communicate should foster this. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, he says. Encourage the faint-hearted. People walk in every day among us that are beat down and weighed down. I assure you, many of you walked in today having lost hope in some way, in some manner, in some area, or to some measure or degree of your, in your life today. And that's weighing on your heart and it's weighing on your mind. And one of the greatest temptations you had today was to put that away before you came in 
so you wouldn't have to deal with it. Instead of bringing it to the very place that God commands us to bring it, desires, longs for us to bring it, so that we don't have to bear it alone. Encourage the faint Let me ask you, if you walked in with some measure of the loss of hope in some way today, does anybody know it? Does anybody know it? Because let's be honest, we're all good at faking it. Have you shared it with anyone? Can even anyone know in order to encourage in this way. Well, I just want people to know. Well, you're asking too much of people. Bring your baggage to church with you. Haul it in the door. In a suitcase if you have to. They make them with wheels now. It's not that heavy. You can get it over the curb. Bring it in. Bring it in. Why? Because God says, this is a place. This is a people where you can bring junk in and leave it. And the less and the fewer that bring it in, the greater an understanding or an expectation of it not being here that we inadvertently bring, that's idleness actually, that, that's corporate idleness, And the less we learn to deal with it. So that when we do see it, we're shocked by it. That stuff stinks, man. That stuff smells. Get it out of here. That's ugly. Bring it in the door. Walk it in. Let others know you're struggling with it. I'm not telling you to wear your dirty laundry. Okay? That's the problem some get into. You just get up and you take it off the top of the pile and it should have been put in the pile long before it got there and the pile should have been dealt with long before it has been. I'm not telling you to put it on and wear it. I'm telling you to bring it. Because if you wear it, we don't want you leaving it. But if you bring it, you don't have to take it with you. Let others know you're struggling, that you're weak. That your heart is weighed down. That you've been beat down by life this week. You're faint. You need to be encouraged. But when you come in, don't share it expecting to walk out the way you walked in. Look for the strength of the Spirit that comes through the people of God. Bring it here to share it among God's people and to leave it at God's feet. When people walk into our community, their heart ought to be lifted and strengthened because of the people that are surrounding them. Be present and bring a word every week to speak so others can have the faint lifted off their heart and the strength returned to them. Let me ask you, is anyone around you that will admonish your idleness, that will encourage your faint-heartedness? Is there anyone around you by which you can do the same? And impact them. Let us place the highest value on caring, inquiring, and pursuing growth and maturity in Jesus. It's helpful and it's encouraging, but most of all, it's biblical. He goes on to say, help the weak. Help the weak. You know, we're here to help the weak. And I don't know anybody that disagrees with this. But here's what I've learned in pastoring. I used to think that the weak were a certain subsect of the church. Like a specific group of people right? 
Like, like they, they hang out in this area or that area. That's the weak, right? But I have learned this. It absolutely is a certain sect of people. It's just that every week that sect of people is changing. Because on any given week, it could be any given one of us. Almost nobody likes to claim or to acknowledge that they are weak. But all are weak, specifically spiritually, in some way, to some extent, at some point. Friends, if you don't know when or how you've been weak, then you're the only one that doesn't. And you're the first one that's being deceived by the lack of that knowledge. Let us be people where help is generous and free, where we look for one another in order to help and to encourage one another. Do you know what encouragement costs for you to give away? Nothing. Nothing. You may only see people once or twice a week. And I'll say this, make every moment count when you do. Look to help one another. Don't wait to be asked. You don't need an invitation to encourage. You don't need an invitation to help. You don't need an invitation to serve. You don't need an invitation to bless. You're here. You're God's child. Get after it. That's what Paul wants us to do. And that's just the way we work. That's the way we live. That's the way we operate. That's the way we relate. Now, that one felt good. This one doesn't. Be patient with them all. Right? He's talking to the congregation here. So that includes all of us. When we come to help and we come to encourage, here's what we will find, friends. I'm going to tell you the secret to patience that I believe God just kind of exploded in me because I am not a patient man. I've never been a patient man. I struggle endlessly with demonstrating patience. And not only that, I don't ever even pray for it for fear God might teach it to me. And that's a lesson I do not want to have to learn, but I probably live most of my life in the midst of it. But here's what I realized this week. When we come to help and encourage, we'll find our patience has already grown because we refuse to cast expectations on others. Rather, we just look to bear their burdens with them, to speak a word of encouragement into them. You see, a lack of patience always grows from selfishness's demand within us. When I don't have time, when I don't have the energy, when I don't have, I don't, I, 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 that's where the lack of patience always grows. But an abundance of patience awaits when we come to encourage and to help one another. You don't ever hear a patient person go, wait a minute, mm, I'm conjuring up the patience within me. Here it comes, here it comes, here, working it up, I'm going to be patient with you, here it comes, get ready, I am patient with you right now, go. Right, like you're like, oh, no, I don't think so. I, I'm not, I don't feel the patience anymore, right? Like if you have to think about patience, you're not. Am I right about this? When your first thought is, I ain't got time for this, you realize in that instant, I am not patient. But when you find yourself already in the moment of giving an encouraging word to somebody, it's like it wasn't any big deal to you. Why? Because you were ready to encourage them. You were happy to bear their burden because their burden was near as heavy on you as it was on them. But when you saw yourself bearing it, you were able to see it lifting them in that instant. And all of a sudden you've exercised patience, but you've never given thought to it. Why? Because you came ready to encourage, to help, to serve, and to bless. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, 
but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In all things, let us be a people looking to put away evil by the doing of good and the multiplication of it in our midst. Let the encounter of every person with our church be one of goodness and of grace. Friends, this is what it should sound like. This is what it should feel like to surround your life with spiritual community, people who are concerned with the strengthening, with the growing, and with the growing up of your whole person. Loose affiliation and lax participation in the local church is simply a slow death to your soul. God designed the church to be a source of regular, ongoing strength and support for Christians. Not to duck in when you need it, and it's okay to be gone when you don't. Press your life in to pursue more by the practices that cultivate grace from God to form Jesus' image more and more in you. Press on for more in your life by pressing in to surround your life with spiritual community. God gives more grace in the Christian's life when we press in to press on. Next week, we'll look at the last two areas. For now, let's pray.